You've probably heard the word holy before, or at least sang it in a church song once or twice. And for most people, this idea is really just connected to being a morally good person. So God is holy because he's morally perfect. Yeah, that is part of it. But in the Bible, the idea of holiness is even bigger and more rich. What it's really describing is how God is the creative force behind the whole universe. He's the one and only being with the power to make a world full of such beauty and life. And so all these abilities, they make God utterly unique, which is the meaning of the word holy. So a helpful way to think about God's holiness is by using the sun as a metaphor. The sun is unique, at least within our solar system, and it's really powerful. It's the source of all this beautiful life on our planet. And so you could say that the sun is holy. And you can actually take this metaphor even further in that the whole area around the sun is also holy. Yeah, because the closer you get to the sun, the more intense it gets. Yeah, exactly. So that very power and goodness that generates all this life is also dangerous. I mean, the sun, if you get too close, will annihilate you. And in the same way, there's this paradox at the heart of God's own holiness, because if you're impure, his presence is dangerous to you. And not because it's bad, but because it's so good. And so the first time we see this paradox of God's holiness, it's in the story of Moses and the burning bush. So God tells Moses to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And Moses covers his face in fear, and God says, hey, don't come any closer. It's intense. It's actually that intensity of God's holiness that's explored even more in the stories about Israel's temple, which was the main place where God's holy presence was located. And at the center of the temple was this room called the most holy place, the hot spot of God's presence. And whether you're an Israelite living in the land around the temple or a priest working right in the temple, you're in proximity to God's holy presence, which is dangerous. Yeah, this is a problem. So how's it supposed to work? Well, in the Bible, the solution is that you need to become pure. So like being morally pure. Yeah, and that's easy enough to understand. But the Bible spends a lot of time talking about another kind of purity, being ritually pure, which is a state where you separate yourself from anything related to death, like touching things like diseased skin or dead bodies or even certain bodily fluids. All these make you impure. And becoming ritually impure isn't necessarily sinful. What's wrong is waltzing into God's presence when you're in an impure state. And so that's why God gave the Israelites very clear instructions for knowing when they were impure, steps to become pure, so that they could go into the temple again. So that's what the book of Leviticus is about. Right. But it doesn't stop there. This idea keeps developing. So later in the scriptures, we find this really interesting story by a prophet named Isaiah. And he has this crazy vision where he's in the temple and he's right in God's presence. He's totally terrified. Yeah, he knows the rules. He shouldn't even be in there. And he's worried about being destroyed. And then this crazy creature called a seraphim. Yeah, that is a crazy creature. <laughs> totally. So it flies over with a hot coal, and then it sears Isaiah's lips with the coal and says something really weird. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So this burning coal somehow makes Isaiah pure. Yeah, it's remarkable because normally if you touch something impure, it transfers its impurity to you. But now here's this new idea where you have this coal, this very holy and pure object, and it touches Isaiah and it transfers its purity to him. Isaiah is not destroyed by God's holiness. He's transformed by it. I mean, the implications of this are just huge. But there's one more development this time from another prophet, Ezekiel. And he has this vision where he's standing at the temple and he sees water trickling out from it. And then that water turns into a stream and then it grows into a deep river that starts flowing through the desert, leaving this trail of green trees behind it. And then it flows into the Dead Sea, making everything fresh and alive. So instead of becoming pure first and then going into the temple, here God's holiness comes out from the temple, making things pure and bringing them to life. What does it all mean? So we don't know until we meet this man, Jesus. And he claims that he's fulfilling all of these ancient visions, but in surprising new ways. So Jesus, he went around touching people who are impure, people with skin diseases, a, a woman with chronic bleeding or dead people. And when he touches them, their impurity should transfer over to Jesus. 
but instead Jesus' purity transfers to them and actually heals their bodies. Jesus is like that holy coal in Isaiah's vision. Right. And Jesus claimed that he was the human embodiment of God's own holiness and that he and his followers were now God's temple so that through them, God's holy presence would go out into the world and bring life and healing and hope. And so this is why Jesus described his followers as having streams of living water flowing out of them. So this is our part of the story where we find ourselves now. But... Where's this all heading? So the last pages of the Bible end with a final vision about God's holiness. And this time it's by a guy named John. And in his vision, we see the whole world made completely new. The entire earth has become God's temple. And Ezekiel's river is there flowing out of God's presence, immersing all of creation, removing all impurity, and bringing everything back to life. So the interesting thing to me and compelling about this, compelling to me about this day, have you ever noticed that as you age, the 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 glamorous special uh, memories, those special days, can seem to fade in their in their joy and in their pleasure. Easter to me is kind of though we can kind of engage that so that we can naturally and easily kind of get caught up in that annual calendar, right? There's always the consumerism. Easter is always on the holiday, right? Let's get our Easter baskets, our candy. You know, we meet as a family. And all all this is fine. I I don't want to criticize this. But but as we age, we fall into into tradition rather than the excitement and the memory and the glory of what that day celebrates. For instance, I view Easter kind of as... Valentine's Day? Now you might say this is a very, very strange comparison to make, right? Because Valentine's Day is really just a, 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 a holiday that is, that is made pop, that's popularized with, with buying flowers and candy. And, and it's one day out of the year to, to be reminded and celebrate the person that you love. Right? And, and although Easter is this day that we're celebrating the memory of Christ coming out of the grave for us. I want you to know that he did that so we can celebrate it every single day of our life. This is not a once and done thing. And so I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want today to be an, an, an elevated hilltop experience for you. I want us to know Christ in a way that we never leave that hilltop. That we never leave his presence. Now, what I'm not saying is that in this hilltop that that life is glorious and life doesn't have its struggles. Maurice, boy, what you said this morning was just excellent. Can you repeat that for I want to know what I said. I will. <laughs> see, this is my job. My job here is, is to share with you what I see God doing. And Maurice, you said, I missed your name, so maybe you didn't say this at all. I heard you say, I don't have any praises this morning, but I'm working on it. Yeah. Yeah. I, want you, I want to tell you how beautiful and how glorious of a statement that is. Because that is a teaching statement, sir. So much so that I want us to come here this morning with the same attitude. See, you say it out loud, but I think some of us are kind of searching for those words. Right. Sometimes we don't know what to be thankful for because it's kind of like, well, you know, I haven't learned. Right. There is so much to be thankful for, but I'm looking for that spirit. I'm looking for that posture. I'm looking to slow down. We get so overwhelmed by everything in our lives that we're kind of like, well, I don't know what to be thankful for, but I'm working on it as a father. Yeah. This. Hold on one second. As a father, when you hear your child say this, that's a winning statement. I feel great when she tells me that. Isn't it? Yeah. What a great statement. Son, how was school today? Dad, it was rough, but I'm working on it. <laughs> right? How'd your how'd your how'd your chores go today? How did your playtime go today? How did Dad, this happened, but I'm working on it. See, in order for us to work on something, we have to know that there's a source powerful enough to give us the courage and the confidence to step into that moment to overcome. 
And this is exactly what Christ did. When Christ came out of, this, out of the tomb, which we're celebrating on this day, he's the one that came and gave us the courage and the confidence to show up. It's not that we don't have anything to, to, be, to be thankful for. It's not that we don't have any praises to share. Sometimes the praise in our lives just there's this gap between the praises that we want to be grateful for and the presence and the words that we want to give them. And see, as we move into this closer and intimate relationship with Jesus, it's not that these praises become more bountiful. It's simply that they become more evident. We become more aware. Have you ever been grateful just for the next breath that you take? Yes. I have been. I feel like I've been struggling with sickness in me and my family since December. And it's probably allergies, but built on COVID and whatever I'm going through. For the past week, I was not able to breathe at all. And you try to take your medications. You try to do whatever you can just to try to just try to get, you know, oxygen in. And here's what's interesting. You're more grateful for breath when you can't breathe. We take oxygen and breath for granted when we just naturally expect it to be there. But if you're choking, if you can't breathe, the moment you actually can get that air, that oxygen, which is essential for life, boy, you're grateful. And it's amazing how the struggles in life the hardships in our lives actually bring us to this bare minimum foundation where we can be actually begin to understand God's power and his glory and his love. So I want to share with you this morning, we've been talking about holiness. And so today's topic, today's discussion is holiness brings life. Now, I want you to know holiness brings life. This is like supposed to be like the easiest Sunday morning talk ever given, right? Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Living Faith. Jesus is risen from the dead. He is holy. Accept him as your Lord and Savior, and you're holy too. Have a great day. We finish with a closing song, and we all go home, right? That's the message. That's how, that's how simple it is. But yet, I read this passage in... Sorry, I read this topic and, and, and my mind, my soul begins to, to churn. And I'm not, I'm not, I, I just, just have to work through the conclusion to myself. And this is what I think Justin's asking for me. See, I can just tell you the answer. I can just tell you what the Bible says. But what I think Justin is asking from me is to try to share with you how I get to the conclusion that holiness brings life. Because I want you to know that. I think that's difficult. I think it's very difficult. See, because I don't want holiness to bring life. I want holiness to bring happiness. This is kind of that equation. How does, how does holiness bring happiness? How do I be happy? How can I, how can I enjoy this, this life that, that I'm living? See, I, have, I spend my life and I've spent my life so deeply entrenched in relationships, completely even consumed by my own journey of, of trying to find meaning in the destination. And, and the destination, I want you to know, as I listen to conversations over and over and over again, these are internal conversations as well as they are external. When I chat with people throughout my day, throughout my life, throughout, through, you know, throughout my neighborhood, throughout my work, it's almost like the conversation's always the same. How can I be happy? How can I find happiness? And I want you to know that I find it very, very difficult to get to this equation that holiness equals happiness. Because I want you to know I'm a follower of Jesus. I love Jesus. I know that Jesus loves me. But I want you to know that my life is still burdened. I still falter and fail. I'm still caught in this, in this broken reality, this broken present. And so to try to explain this to you, to try to explain to you my journey and to try to connect the dots, I want to begin with you by giving you this equation. I was scrolling on Facebook recently and this equation popped up. Now, listen, please come to me on this equation. 
this equation on social media apparently is like is like lighting a stick of dynamite, you know, at the foundation of the building. This little equation here caused more hatred and negativity and and and, and ill-filled comments that I've ever seen. All right. So I'm going to ask you just to follow me as I try to step into this explanatory moment, this this illustration. And I'm going to ask you to not do the math. All right. I'll do the math and kind of walk you through it. So if you look at this equation, real simple, right? Divide 400 by half and, and add 60. What's your answer? You look on the internet and, and you begin to get all these answers. Really, really simple. Let's divide 400 by half, which is 200, right? 400 divided by half, which is 200, is what? 400 divided by 2, 200 is 2. Add 60. 400 divided by 200, rather. Right, because we're dividing by half, 400, is 2, so we get 62, right? No, 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 wait, 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 wait. Let's rethink this. 400 divided by half, oh, 400 divided by 2 is 200 at 60. Now, the answer is clearly 260, yeah. right? Oh, wait, 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 one minute. Divide 400 by half. Okay, so it's 400 over 1 divided by 1 half. So if we have 400 uh, slices of pie and we chop them all in half, now we have 800. So if you, those of you who are, who are math geniuses, you have 400 over 1 divided by 1 half. So what you have to do is you have to multiply and flip that fraction upside down. If I'm losing you, that's okay. All right, math, I think you're, you're, a, math, you're a math teacher. So I'm correct, right? So 400 divided by 1 half is like 400 times 2 which is actually 800, add the 6860. So in this equation, all over Facebook, there's three different answers. And everyone is right. Everyone is right. And if you don't come up with the same conclusion, guess what? You're an idiot. You're stupid. This is why, this is why American school systems fail us, right? You can't even come up with the simplest answer. Here's the problem. It's not that the answers are wrong. The problem is we don't understand the question. We don't understand the question. So see, when Justin is asking me, he says, Nick, I want you to talk about how holiness brings life. It's very, very important that we clarify the question. Because some of us think holiness brings happiness. Some of us think, holy, some of us think holiness brings wealth or, uh, or holiness brings an easy life. Right. I'd be I'd be I'd be happiest if holiness just brought me no drama. Right. If happiness just kind of just kind of gave me, you know, a nice little home on the countryside. Hear that, Bob? I'm not like ready to live in the country because I'm so overwhelmed. You know, <laughs> see, it seems that I am so for me, I'm so overwhelmed by what's happening in the world. The issue is this. Most of us aren't, look, aren't chasing holiness because it's not the first thing that comes to our mind. Holiness has been my idea to try to get to happiness. And that was kind of the idea. Well, how does holiness get me to happiness? Right? Because holiness is not, when I wake up in the morning, if I'm just being honest with you, that's not how I want my day to play out. Right. I, 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 I want to have a fun day. I want to have a day that has the least drama. I want to you know, I want to have a happy day. I, I want to com complete my goals. Yeah. Right. I want to have a good day. I don't wake up saying. Father, I, I want to be holy today. It's not the first thing that comes to my mind or, or to my soul. <clears throat> And I want you to know that, that this is because of Genesis 3. So I want to take us back. If we're going to talk about holiness, I want to take us all the way back to the beginning in, in Genesis 1. And, and I'm just going to go to Genesis 1, please. Because so I want you to join me in this place where everything seemed to make sense, or as, as far as I can tell. Everything seemed to make sense. And 
Everything that I long for seems to be there. Now, I'm going to read some of the words, but with your imagination, I'm going to ask you to kind of join me and see if it doesn't also connect with what you desire, what your soul longs for. Listen to this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that there was light, and it was good. And God separated the light from the darkness and called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning on the first day. And, and God doesn't stop there. It says in verse, verse 6, and God said that there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and that it separate the waters from the waters. And, and God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above. And, and it was so, and God called the expanse heaven. And there was that evening there, and there was morning the second day. And God said that the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let dry land appear. And it was so, and God called dry, the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together, he called the seas. And he saw that was good. And if we keep on reading what we see, what we see is this beautiful masterpiece being created. I believe one day, right, that if you are a follower of Jesus, that you've received him and declared him as your Lord and Savior, we're going to have a front row seat to seeing this reel played out. See, eternity future is filled with eternity past. This is all this is all rolled together in one. And, and so I want to see, I want to be there. How about you? I want to be there to see this happen. Right now it's springtime. And this is the most peculiar, and for those of us who have allergies, <coughs> this is the most peculiar springtime I've ever experienced. I'm not kidding you. Dwayne mentioned this last week, I believe. I walk out of my house in my front yard. I have a cherry tree. I walk out in the morning. This thing is like is like barren as winter, right? I go to my morning meeting, have some breakfast, come home, and this thing bloomed like fully, fully. We have a pear tree in the backyard in the morning. It, 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 it flourishes like blooms, right? You have all your, your white petals, you know, by lunch, they're all on the ground and this thing's green. It's almost as if someone said, wake up. And a life is just immediately ushered into it. See, I, I can't wait to find out what it was like in Genesis 1. For God to say, light, darkness, awaken. Land, sea, awake. Right? And he goes through all, and then he comes. He, he speaks life into the animals. And, and, and out of nothing, out of the very imagination of God. And then on day six, the greatest of his imagination. I don't know about you, but when I know that I'm about to finish something, finish a work or finish an idea or, or, or finish my day. I have this little, this little rule. I, I always want to finish on an, on a, on a little win. I always want to finish on that high point. When I played sports, we would never leave the gym without making that last basket. You don't walk, you right. You don't walk out on a miss. Yeah. You know, it had, you know, has, you have to finish on that good note. You know, and, and in Genesis one, Sorry, we're getting into Genesis 2 now. Genesis 2, right? This passage begins to be drawn out, almost as if God is focusing, right? He's been creating, imagining, and, and, and you can't even contain all that he wants to do. And, and so he speaks into this imagination of man, this Adam, and this very breath, this very spirit of God, which is hovering in the very beginning, actually breathes into him, and this man awakens awakens into life. Now, I, I, I wasn't born that way. How about you? I don't remember the moment I was born. I was there. I promise you. But I don't remember it. Your mother does. My mother does. Right? 
and she regrets it every day since. <laughs> right? Can you imagine being Adam, waking up to all this glory that was created just for you? And make no mistake, it was. Adam and Eve aren't only the pinnacle of his creation, they're, they're the object of his affection. We are the object of his, of his affection. And before they could be created, he had to create to create his home for them, his home for us. And it was complete. And, and it's almost like, I don't know, Easter's one of those days, or holidays are one of those days. If you have children, right, you try to create these, these special moments, these special surprises. Right? Maybe in, in, in your special relationships, you know, you try to surprise the significant other with, with a, a treat, a flower, a surprise. It's almost as if God blindfolded Adam and Eve and said, wake up. And you know what they wake up to? They wake up to complete holiness. Wow. Complete perfection. See, holiness is... is, is Everything designed the way that it was supposed to be. In complete perfection, in complete it, it, holiness is the is the environment, it's the world, it's the life that we were designed to live in and to live out. See, this is the life, this holiness, this completeness. And if I were to tell you what filled this place, what filled this 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 garden, we would be quick to say, well, it's it's filled with all the most delicious treats, right? They got Reese's peanut butter cups galore. As many as you can eat, man. Right? They got steaks burning over in this area. Sounds like they, Yeah! That's right! That's right! And they awaken to this. Right? And But you know what else is throughout this garden? This, this holiness... There is, there, there, there is a love, there is the very presence or reality of love that you and I cannot even explain. There is this, this, this measure of, of hope and courage and connectedness. There is this sense of belonging that transcends our understanding. See, they didn't wake up, okay? They didn't wake up, you know, like being woken from a, like, like you know, a, a a nightmare. What? What? Where am I? Where am I? What is this place? No. They were awakened into the reality of which their souls and their bodies and their minds were perfectly designed. And all the beauty and all the glory of God himself, where holiness covered everything. Everything they touched, everything they, they tasted, everything they saw. And, 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 and you know what? They were happy. They were happy. It's all they knew was the fulfillment of God himself. And this happiness was, was in everything that they did. This, this glory, his holiness was in every bite they took. It was in everything they touched. It was in every piece of work they did. It just flowed through them and out of them. And then Genesis 3 happens. All right. Those of you who know me, I try to skip over Genesis 3 as much as I can. I hate Genesis 3. I know hate's a strong word, but son, this is the, this is the time it has to be used. I, 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 Genesis 3. See, see, we didn't just get kicked out of the garden. We got kicked out of holiness. We rejected this holiness and exchanged it for something else. We exchanged it for pollution. We exchanged it for, for see, this whole idea, this whole idea, this, this holiness, this deep, rich presence of God, this holiness of God, which filled everything. We rejected it and tried to replace it with something else. We were deceived. We were tricked. And we have been ever since. And since that day, we've been looking at the equations of the world, trying to come up with answers 
to the very wrong question. See, Oswald Chambers has this great quote. That when we're talking about, go ahead there, Lisa. Holiness, not happiness, the chief end of man. See, many of us, I don't want you to be here this morning. I don't want you to be here seeking after happiness. Because happiness is not what you were created for. Happiness is an overflow of how we were created. And see, this holiness, this relationship with God himself. See, see what happens? I want to tell you a little bit of a story. Genesis 3, everything falls apart. And from that moment, and you can read the scriptures, go back to Genesis 3. From that moment, Easter Sunday was planned. From that moment, see, God wasn't taken by surprise. From that moment, Easter Sunday was planned. It says in Genesis 3 that, that, that God was going to send the rescuer, was going to send the redeemer. He speaks how he's going to be wounded to overcome. And from that day, we start walking through the narratives of generations. And I want to read to you a narrative this morning. We've been in the book of Acts. I want to take you into a narrative here in Acts chapter 5. Because I think it demonstrates for us this, this challenge and this, uh, this reality where we all have to choose and decide and discover how the Lord's, how we were designed for the holiness of God and how it's his holiness that, that brings life. Acts chapter 5, five verse 17. Now, before we get to this, well, let me read the passage and then I'll, then I'll digress. Acts chapter 5, verse 17. But the high priest rose up. So a little bit of background here. Jesus ascends. Um, to heaven in the beginning of Acts, he, he leaves them and says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit. And, and when I go, this my spirit is going to live in you, which, by the way, is the same spirit in Genesis 1. The same breath of God giving you wisdom and insight and holiness for those who receive and declare Jesus Christ as the one and only. Right? And... and, and so the apostles are filled with the Holy Spirit, and God is doing such an amazing thing through the lives of his people that they cannot stop talking about Jesus. They can't stop talking about this day, right? Well, we're, we're 2,000 years later, and it's kind of like, I guarantee you, not everyone's in church this morning, all right? There's some people, you can say, Happy Easter, and so what? Right. The glory and the power of this day is not as as glorious to some as it is to others. But right now, right, this is 2000 years later, but in this passage right now, this just happened. This is uh, about 40 days, two months have passed. This just happened. Jesus was just here. He was just crucified. He just rose from the grave. They're sitting, waiting. Jesus ascends. Jesus ascends, friends. Like, like, like your Lord and Savior, you're, you know, the one who has come to grant you this free gift of holiness, actually floats up before your very eyes. Right? So much so, it says in the scriptures that Jesus ascended. That they're all like staring. I'd be doing the same thing. I've never seen a man fly. Jesus is flying. Why is he flying? Right? And then even angels come and, and, and say to them, what are, you, what are you staring at? Right? What are you doing? Well, I I'll tell you, he's flying. You know, my son and I were just like scrolling through Netflix last night, and we saw 1984 Superman. And those of you who are familiar with 1984 Superman, this was like the first time in cinematic history that that the cinema actually convinced us that a man could fly. Right. It was the first time. It was like so real. He's flying. 
This is like the coolest thing. Right? Jesus is standing right, right, right in front of them. And the, and the angels has the nerve to say, what are you looking at? You don't. Right? But his encouragement is this. His encouragement, I believe, is this. Get ready for what you're amazing at right now is going to be is is going to become nothing as compared to what God's now going to do through you. And so don't stand here waiting. The Holy Spirit is now coming. And now what you were first spectating, this holiness that you would spectate and that you would watch, now you are going to get to participate. You're being ushered in. And so the, these, the disciples, they, 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 the very words, the gospel, the words of Jesus are, are pouring out of them. They cannot, they cannot keep it to themselves. If you saw, if you saw someone lift off the ground and just kind of fly in front of you, would you go tell someone? Right? Of course. You'd be like, wait here. Just hold that. No one's going to believe me. I got to go get them. And, and, and Right? And there's things that happen in our life that, that are like this so compelling that we just can't keep our mouth shut. Right? We just, you know, need to tell people. And then, you know, we tell them again. And then we're kind of like, you know, have you heard it? Oh, yeah, you've told me 20 times. Oh, right? Because we can't stop talking about it. This is that moment. And this is what's going on. Matthew 5, 17. Sorry, Acts 5.17. Thank you. I was just seeing if you were listening. <laughs> Acts 5.17. But the high priest, this is the disciples are going around telling everyone about Jesus. But the high priest rose up and all her with him. And that is the party of the Sadducees. And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Speak to them, speak to the people of all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with them, they called together the council, all the sent of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison. So they returned and they reported, we found the prison, and it was locked. And the guards were there, right? But uh, when he opened them, uh, no one was inside. And when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were Greatly perplexed, wondering what would come, what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the, the men who you put in prison, come see them. They're standing in the temple right now and they're teaching. They're teaching the people. And, and the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. I want you to know that you're going to find people in your life who don't even want to hear you mention the name of Jesus. No. Yet, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. But God exalted him at his, right, at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of our sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now I want you to understand the, the perplexing reality of this moment. Because the main character... One of the main characters to me is the high priest, right? The high priest is indignant about this whole ordeal, and, and he should be. He should be, right? So let me just recap what the high priest did. The high priest is, is, is he's the one who, who ushers in forgiveness over the people. 
He's the only one who can go into the Holy of Holies one time a year. He's the only one who can who can stand between God and man. I want you to know that if you don't have an ego problem, take on this role. And it's let's just say it's going to be a challenge because you're the one responsible. You're the only one who can stand between man and God. You're the only one ushered in. Now understand this high priest, his his office is really is really in chaos at the moment. It's being flooded with phone calls. Everyone's trying to figure out what's going on. He's very overwhelmed, and 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 his daily ritual, his his responsibility, his job is kind of being stripped away. Let me explain. There used to be this this veil which which some archaeologists say is 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 hung about about six stories high about a hundred hundred feet 150 100, 150 feet don't know don't don't take me on that one but I believe about I believe up to five six stories high was this was this veil that that's that kept people separated from the holy of holies and it was about four inches thick and the only individual who could go into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, once a year was the high priest. This is his job. And he liked it. And, and it gave him purpose and it gave him meaning and it gave him riches and it gave him wealth. It gave him esteem. He, he, he's the pinnacle of purity. He's the pinnacle of holiness. He's the one who gets to decide how society works. And the moment that Christ died on the cross, that veil ripped from top to bottom. Can you imagine being the high priest? Oh, no, 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 right? Anyone, every people, this would be chaos. People running away. No one look, no one look, nothing to see here, right? The priest would be like, look away, look away. The veil is tearing from top to bottom. His job security is, is, is being liquidated in this very moment. He's like, he's got his receptionist. He's got his admin counsel. Get on the phone. What is it, sir? What do we need? We need seamstresses. All of them. We need needle and thread. ASAP, get here now. Right? Call the fire department. We need ladders. Right? Set up, set up a perimeter. Make sure no one can look in. What do you think he would have been doing? This is, this is, this is the religious, religious leader at the time who knew Genesis 1, who knew Genesis 3, who knew the whole Talmud, who knew, who knew the old scriptures, the prophets. He knew it all. He was the one who was to be waiting to declare this moment. He should be on his knees as that veil tears from top to bottom and, and, and stops and grabs people and holds their hands and says, friends, I want you to see holiness. Holiness for everyone. There's a man, there's a, I believe a centurion guard Please go to the scriptures and, and verify this. But I know that there's an individual at the cross. I believe I believe a centurion guard. When Jesus dies, is miles away from that veil tearing. And then, and in the midst of the earthquakes, in the myth of in the midst of this of this of the earth, crying out, looks at Jesus and says, "Truly, this must be the Son of God." And the high priest, whatever he's doing, is doing everything he can. Year after year, going in, sprinkling the blood for the repentance and uh, the sins of his people, is doing everything he can to make sure no one is ever forgiven. I don't know. Now, I'm giving, please, I'm giving you some poetic license because I don't know what happened. You know, I assume it's kind of like Raiders of the Lost Ark in this moment. and Everyone's just like turning away. Right. right. But, you know, I know some of you in this room, you know, you guys be like, don't look, don't look. You're like, 
Some of you, some of you, right? The veil is tearing. And and wow, that person's looking and they're not dying. That person's looking and they're not dying. That per- this is a very profound moment because one of two things is happening. God is being exposed as a fraudulent, fraudulent myth. Or is revealing himself through Christ to be the savior and creator of the world. Four inch thick curtain tearing from top to bottom. <coughs> Seems to check the box. Supernatural to me. Right? Seems to be a bit bigger than me for, to understand. And so this high priest, this high priest is, 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 is going through. Did I paint the picture okay? You can kind of figure out what, what he's going through. And now these Jesus people, they're going to the temple. Why do you think they're going to the temple? Why do you think? They're not going, they're not going there to sprinkle anymore. This is, this is a holy tour. This is a holy tour. Come, come, come. I got to tell you about this Jesus. I got to show you the holy of holies. I mean, you got to show me. I, I can't go in there. Guess what? Guess what? The power of this moment. Anyone who's been waiting and longing for the Christ appearing into the Holy of Holies. See, I don't believe the veil was keeping people out. I believe the veil was there waiting to let us all in. That's why Jesus came. This is the work of Christ. And they're going to the temple and the high priest, they're setting up a perimeter. They're putting up curtains, right? Under construction. They're trying to keep people as far away from this present reality as they possibly can. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they, and they arrest anyone who's talking about Jesus and they put him in jail and, 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 and they're these guys under the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't, you literally can't, you can't, you can't keep them away. You know, Holy Spirit's, you know, taking them out of jails, taking them back to the temple, right? Back to this, back to the spot. And here's, here's, I, I want to continue here in Acts chapter five, verse 33. Because I want you to know this is this is a complete moment of chaos. And it says this. When they heard this, they were enraged. This is the, the high priest again. They wanted to kill him. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held high in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the man outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, just take care about what, what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis, he rose up claiming to be someone and a number of men, about 400 joined him and he was killed and all who followed him, they were dispersed and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him and he too perished and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I, I just tell you, keep away from these men. And just let them alone. For if this is, if this plan is, is, or this undertaking is, is of just them, <coughs> that this is a man made thing, friends, it's, it, it'll fail. You're spending so much energy hating people when it's just going to fail. But if it's of God, you're not going to be able to do anything. You're not going to be able to overthrow them. And you might even find yourself actually opposing God. This is the power of holiness in this moment. The very presence of God, the holiness of God is, 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 is bringing life to anything and everyone it, it touches. Anyone that, that receives Christ, Christ is the presence, is the holiness of God come to earth to step into humanity, step into becoming man to go to the cross, to go to the grave and come out on the other side. And and here we are 2000 years later 
And I want you to know that this is not the first time that, that people have tried to stop this holiness from spreading. 2,000 years later, this holiness still spreads by the power of Jesus Christ and by the power of Christ alone. All built on this day that we celebrate, this Easter Sunday, when Jesus stepped out of that grave and conquered death. And this was the very, very invitation to step into this holiness, this gift, this wholeness of Christ. See, I, I envision holiness as, as, being, as being new clothes. New clothes for, for a new journey. New clothes for a new adventure. It's a new path that we get to take. We, we acknowledge who Jesus is and, and, and through our own joining in him, we die. We take on his death. We cast off this, this, this sinful humanity. Jesus says, unless you take up your cross and follow me. The image of baptism we actually go into this, 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 this water grave and, and, and we bury the sinful desires and we come up in this new, in these new clothes, in this new body, this, 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 these clothes of holiness, not based on us, based on him, based on the work of Christ. And, and for some reason, for some reason, no matter how dirty these new clothes get, they always stay perfectly clean in Christ's sight. Because he covered every sin. He covered every piece of filth in his holiness. Now, if you're like me, this is where it gets very, very difficult to understand because holiness are not your clothes. Holiness, they're not my clothes. I can't go get. I can't go to Walmart. I can't go to to H and M. I can't go to Macy's. I don't know where you do your shopping. I don't Amazon. I can't go and, and and get holy clothes. I can spend. I can spend thousands and thousands of dollars. I can get high end designer clothes, and they don't do anything to get me into eternity. They don't do anything to give me holiness. These clothes only come through the work of Christ. And the perplexing thing is, I, we, we're the ones. We're the ones. My, my son was out playing just the other day, and he has a new friend who's younger than him. And, and he ran home to go have some, have some lunch, and he came back. And, and you guys know this of kids, but you could tell that he had lunch because, you know, kids are really, really good at missing. You know, there's just, you know, stuff all over his face. And I just thought that is like so us in our eyes, right? Got these clean clothes. How many of you, how many of you, I mean, we aren't really looking around. I mean, we're not like a Easter Sunday best dressed, you know, church, right? Some, those of you who are anywhere near my age or older, you know, knew that when we went to church when we were younger, you had, you had your brand, your brand new Easter dress, you know, your little three, three piece suits, Ties, right? We were all we were all decked out, right? And and it was. I'm glad we don't have that tradition anymore because it was just so stressful, right? We're not eat anything, you know. Don't touch anything, you know. That dress is going to be ruined in the first 15 minutes. That you know that you're going to spill. You know, let's pray we're not having communion on Sunday because there's oh, it's going to be a mess, right? Trying to keep new clothes clean. You know, trying to keep anything clean in this world is really, really difficult. But see, and that's how we think of holiness in our own lives. We think holiness, even in the power and the blood of Christ, we think, we think it's, like take, it's like taking a bath. And then we get out and start getting dirty again. Right? And every time we get dirty, we get, you know what we get angry at? We get angry at ourselves. Like there is this like moral idea that we can somehow keep ourselves clean. You know, and, and if you can actually like keep your, okay, I'm not going to highlight a point and you out, but I know some of you in this room, you know, have gone for like a record to see how long you can like wear the same pair of clothes every day. Right. I'm, I'm one of these people They see this shirt, see these pants. I'm going to wear them for a couple weeks. Right. That's just who I am. But if I spill something on it, 
If it starts to stink, I want you to know, eventually I have to change these clothes. Good. All right, yeah, good. I have to. You know, any, if any of you in this room have been, you know, particularly keen about my dressing habits, you might be like, yeah, you know, now I have pictures of you last week. Some of you are like, now documentary. <laughs> I have a documentary, you're documenting. Nick, you've been wearing, you've been wearing that shirt for, for a month now. Yes, yes, I have. We, it's almost like we try to keep, we try to keep our holiness clean. We try to keep our holy clothes clean as long as we can. And like, as long as we can, it's almost like we get so proud, like somehow Jesus is more pleased with us. Right. And, and, and if you spill something, then you have to, you have to, oh, got to go, got to go get cleaned up. Got to go take a bath, take a shower. I want you to know that the holiness of Christ is nothing like the cleanliness of man. Nothing. Because when you spill, Christ is the one that's there is cleaning it up. He's the one that's wiping our faces. He's the one that's dressing us. He's the one. He's the one that looks the other way. When you come in and your and your your clothes are just drenched with filth. He's the one that doesn't even notice. Because of what he did. Now listen. What I'm saying is this 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 gift of holiness, this this path, these clothes. The work of Christ isn't so that we can continue to live filthy. It's not so, oh, you know, I don't have to bathe tonight. You know, I'm going to run around the house. You know, I don't have to bathe tonight because dad doesn't care. Dad doesn't notice, right? I don't have to bathe. No. Holiness isn't an invitation to, to, to live in filth. Holiness is an invitation to walk in holiness. We don't live to, to, to feel guilty anymore. We don't live to be, oh, I just spilled, right? Any of you who have, have desired to please the Lord, even just being human, every time you mess up, every time you sin, or don't, who do you get angry at? Oh, I can't believe I, I can't believe I sinned again. I can't believe, oh. And, and for me, it's almost like, and this was life-changing for me, it was almost like when I sinned, it was almost like I, le- I left God's presence. I sinned, I'd have to leave God's presence, Go get cleaned up and then come back and ask him to forgive me. Until I realized that he was with me the whole time. Wow. The whole time. He knew, you know, it's almost like the sin in our lives we try to hide from him. Right. When he's the one that cleaned it all up. Right? It's not an excuse for us to go on living in filth, but it's an excuse. It's, it's, it's the reason for us to not want to live that way anymore. To understand that we have we have this amazing spiritual detergent to live in this power and this holiness. When I was a kid, um, Lisa, can you put up this uh, this this piece of artwork? When I was a kid, I remember I remember coming across some um, images of art similar to this, and and I've always it's I've carried it with me for for forty five years. And it comes from this passage in, in, in the book of Matthew. And I'm going to read it to you. It's Matthew, Matthew 7, I believe. Matthew 7, verse 13. This is this invitation to holiness, this invitation to a new path. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, I want to, I do need to kind of explain this a little bit. Because if you hear Jesus' words, if you look at this image, I'm just being honest with you. If if narrow is the gate that leads to, to, to holiness, and, and, and ease is the gate that leads to destruction. I want you to know that I feel, I feel quickly discouraged. What are my chances of finding, what my chances of making it through that narrow gate? Five foot six, I had to work so hard to make the basketball teams where I never got to play. I worked so hard to, to, to try to measure up playing sports, measure up in relationship. I tried, I, for me, I've 
I've tried the narrow gate in so many ways and I've fallen short so many times because I'm not tall enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not handsome enough. The, the world has told me a thousand times over the narrow gates only for the select few. Only for the select few. And, and, and when you're out on the streets and everyone's going a certain direction, it is easy to go because I belong. Right? I can get lost here. I can just kind of blend into the flow. Where are we going? We have no idea, but there's a party ahead. Come on. This is going to be great. Well, where does it lead? Who cares? We're having a great time. Come on, everyone. See, I used to think that, that when Jesus was saying, you know, this narrow path is hard, it's not because you're not good enough. It's not because you haven't tried hard enough. It's not because of, of any earthly talent that, 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 that you lack or don't, don't possess. It's because it requires something that the masses are unaware of and don't want. And it's because they don't, we don't desire holiness. We desire happiness. We desire an easy path forward. See, it's not that the road is difficult. Holiness is, is, actually, is actually the easiest road. It's the easiest road. What do you have to do? Trust Christ and take, do what he says. Obey and take one step forward. One step forward. But I don't know what to do. I don't know. What, what does Jesus say? Well, he says he loves you. Okay. One step forward. But I feel so overwhelmed. There's no, there's no one else going this direction. How do I know I'm going the right way? Because Jesus' voice calls you one step forward. The reason why it's difficult is not because of the battles that are taking place in society. It's because of the battles that you have to face in your own soul. That, you have to, that we have to choose Jesus above everything. We have to choose Jesus above all the temptation, above all the desires of happiness. I've had people come to me and be like, well... You know, are you telling me that if I if I follow Jesus, I have to I have to give this up? I have to give up, you know, my career. I have to give up my family or I have to give up, you know, my job. Or I have to give this up. And I just say quite clearly, no. No. It's worse than that. No. Jesus is asking us to give up everything. In exchange for holiness. Now, I want you to know that holiness does bring life. And, and, but life, I want you to know, is life is, is, is so much more than happiness. Happiness is, is, is a lie straight from the depths of hell to convince you and I that, that, that it's the end desire of, of all things. But I want you to know that in that garden, in Genesis 1, there was more than happiness. There was holiness. Complete fulfillment in every way. And that's what Christ restores to us on this day. Amen. Holiness. Jesus gave us these words. And I'll leave you with this. Matthew chapter 5. Thank you for sticking with me, guys. I, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus gives these very words. And I want you to know, in, in the actual Greek depending on how your Bible translates it. The Greek word is actually happiness. Jesus, in speaking to the masses, this is Matthew 5, verse, verse 2. Sorry, verse 3. He says, Happy are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Happy are those who mourn, for they're going to be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they, are, they will inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they are going to be satisfied. Happy are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are you when others revile you, disagree with you, disbelieve you and persecute you, make fun of you, laugh at you, jide you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely 
because of me. Now listen, here is the very source of holiness. Having a conversation to us about happiness. And if you read this list, it's, 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 it is very perplexing. It's very opposite. Isn't it? Happiness is quite simply this. Happiness is opening up your soul to desiring the Holy One more than anything else. Because when the end has come, you're going to be the happiest person in all of eternity, for all of eternity. This is the work that Christ has done. The world that we live in is filled with bodies and bodies trying to find their own happiness, trying being angry, and it's all leading towards this, towards this death and destruction. The battle that we're fighting is a battle to hold on to the gift of holiness. In our day-to-day lives. And holiness is really simple. It's choosing the person who is holy. 